Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Without Context podcast. Uh, we don't have a VTuber this week, so uh, there's that. Um, Rabbit, why don't you just introduce, why don't you just introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm uh, Aiden. Uh, I'm also known as Rabbit Run Dev. I am a junior technical designer at Gunfire Games. Uh, we uh, made uh, Darksiders, which a lot of you probably know, as well as uh, Remnant from the Ashes and uh, a couple of the launch titles for the Oculus. Uh, fun fact, John Carmack has actually been inside the building where I work. Nice. This guy who programmed Doom. <laughs> the, uh, the galaxy, like, ever-evolving brain that brought us the FPS genre. The gestalt <laughs> intelligence John Carmack. Are you also a Civi watcher? I watch, I watch Civi. Hey, but uh, I'm, also playing, uh, I'm also playing Remnant uh, every now and then, and I'm, oh, I'm enjoying glad it. Glad to hear it, dude. Oh, it's so much fun, honestly. It's, just, like, it's a Dark Souls game, so I kind of am bad at it, but... <laughs> I mean, it's it's very hard to be good at games that are, like, that difficult. Yeah. It, it's nice because it really rewards you for, like, wanting to push the envelope with, like, builds and things like that. And that's something I really like in an ARPG. Yeah. I, I like being able to just be like, oh, here's, like, infinitely more difficulty. Uh, let me just see what hammers I can hit it with to do the most stuff. And, like, well, I'm going to die in one hit, so I might as well just go straight damage or whatever. Yeah, but, it's, yeah a, like it's, cool, it's cool hearing that you had uh, John Carmack uh, in the building. I mean, he's definitely... I guess if you think of like game designer or like a software Mount Rushmore of game developer, design, it's like he's on there. It's like he's the the magical duo that made Doom. Is like mm-hmm. you have the tech guy, and then you have like the creative guy, and it's like both their faces, the two yeah, Johns. Like, you need you need that left brain, right brain in order to like get yeah. anything done. Honestly, like. It's it's so interesting for me, like moving up from uh, mostly solo indie development to like a professional, you know, uh, design space where there's like you know programming support and there's you know designers that know stuff that I don't know and it's not just all me doing one thing because it's like you know it it streams it streamlines the process so much and you're able to do so many more cool things but because of that like the scope can get really blown out so having people who are like you know, responsible and technical minded as well as these kind of free, th- you know, free thinking like, oh, I would have never thought of this crazy thing kind of like design space. It's it's nice to have that, like those like checks and balances. I feel like you make a cooler thing out of it. Yeah, I think and, we uh, start there, actually, because yeah, that's kind just, of what we were going to start talking yeah, about. I want to say we before, we get, topic. before we get too ahead of ourselves, uh, we brought a rabbit on to the show today to kind of talk, you know, the game development uh scene and industry into the way we have somebody who obviously works in it and it's a very cool uh industry you know that kind of thing a lot of people say like hey i want to make a video game or i want to do something and you know this is a person who is doing that so it's great and um i you invited uh rabbit onto the show but i've met rabbit by by twitter uh yeah when I first uh, started coming back to making content, I was doing something with uh, Haunted PS1, which is yeah. a collection of uh, indie games that are kind of thrown together as like an old school demo disc, which is a very cool uh, concept. And uh, I definitely recommend it. You guys have three of them out right now. I think there was one for this year, last year, and the year before. At least, yeah. So. So Haunted PS1 is actually, like, more than just the discs. We're actually an entire community of uh, retro horror designers. Uh, a lot of folks uh, are, uh, like, one of our one of our tech artists who we have just kind of in the community, I believe works at Unity and wrote an entire render pipeline just to make Unity look like 
PlayStation graphics. Awesome. So the whole idea is getting all of these like really creative people uh, in one place and kind of enabling each other to be able to do these like really, you know, amazing projects that, you know, are, are just kind of crowdsourced in terms of like the way that they're made. It's a, it, it was one of the like the places that really helped me form my identity as a designer. Uh, so, yeah, we have um, the three demo discs now. There was uh, the original, uh, the second one, which I uh, actually made a game for on my own. Uh, and Spectral Mall, which came out a couple of days ago, actually, and you should definitely yeah, go play there'll it. There'll be a link in the description because uh, all bangers. Yeah, I need to uh, get all bangers because I was. What game did you make on last year's? Uh, so I made a game called The Drowning Machine, which I'm still one. working on, and uh, it is very, very hard to work. It's a, a game I actually started uh, working on uh, with a friend of mine before he passed away, and uh, you know, I just wanted to like get it out there and finish it and get his, you know, artistic vision and message out there. But it's kind of over time become more about him and like the process of grieving. Uh, it's really, really messed up. And I would not recommend playing it if you're in a bad mental space. But um, well, I'm thinking about it because I remember I think I played the one from last year and that one mm -hmm. might have missed that one because it's not ringing up. It's not really bills. I don't mean that as a, like so slight to you, but I'm like no, 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 absolutely. It's like, it's like one of those projects that a lot of people saw the the like seven mile long content warning and were like oh, but <laughs> that's uh probably a good decision all things considered. It's like very heavy. Um, you know, I've I've also done uh vent pieces such as like it's a, it's a vent piece, right? No, and it's absolutely no, no, no. It's a hundred percent event piece. It's it's um, like. It's barely a video game. It's more of just a series of upsetting intera like interactions and environments you can kind of walk through. I, I've definitely wrote, written a module that I'm never going to like play or release. It's just it's for me. It's mm -hmm. bad, and it's it's a it's a vet piece, you know. Yeah. And I'm I'm never going to release it. You'll never see the light of day. Yeah. Something that uh, struck me as a vent piece in that haunted PS One. I forget the name of it, but it was one. It was like the final days of like an online game. Oh um, yeah, um, uh, die, uh, agony of a dying MMO. Yeah, that... and I think that's where because I was trying to make like a scripted video, like t reviewing all of the games on the disc, and mm -hmm. I got to that one. I'm like, I don't even know what I can talk about when it comes to this one because like, it just I know says what yeah. I know what this feels like. Mm -hmm. I've been there when games that I've grown up playing have their servers cut off or the people that you meet online just stop showing up online, and mm -hmm. I'm sitting there, I'm like. I don't really know like how to feel about this game because it's also coming off as like very melodramatic at times. It's definitely it's 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 interesting knowing what I do about Salem the 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 designer. It's I I've also had those experiences and it's it's been interesting for me as a uh, as a Jewish person like interacting with a lot of like online like quote gamer spaces. Um, it, but there's there's so much like. I, I think that a lot of people um, in in the the haunted PS one community in particular uh, express um, like very very specific feelings and experiences, um, and I, a lot of the time it's so interesting to me the way that indie horror in particular is uh, fundamentally unrelatable. Um, it's it, it it bends you know actual experiences into these like twisted yeah um, like like facsimiles of themselves that are more meta like metaphorical than literal, but like carry more weight because you know, it, it, 
you know how you, you know you, you're you're more scared of monsters in movies that you haven't seen yet because your brain's able to fill in the details. Yeah. Um, the idea is to give that kind of uh, like resonance to it by not being particularly like it's it's really interesting as, as an aesthetic choice because there are intentional absurdities that are, are like worked into a lot of these games like uh, uh um i'm trying to remember it's called start survey there was a game that was that was passed around a lot uh that was made by i think my a guy named nat from the server uh like markiplier played it and a bunch of these other people played it but um the idea is that it kind of slowly you start to realize that it knows more about you than you think it does um and oh i, I know remember... which, i know which one that is that's a, yeah, yeah, the yeah, survey yeah, yeah. on the computer you're and you can look around the room you're in exactly and it's just like this feeling of dread that comes from it you're like i don't know what this game like has as like the thing that is making me dread but it's just it's there you know exactly and i think that that's one of the things that uh is a huge advantage of this kind of like retro ps1 horror style is you know you think about um uh, I don't know, The Witness, uh, for example, which is a, so a sort of recent game, and it's like, it never, it, it's an, it's clearly an homage to Silent Hill, but it, I don't know that it had the same effect because it was detailed. You know, you have these, like, high-poly models, and you have, um, you know, a much more distinct picture of what the monster looks like, whereas Silent Hill 1, for example, a lot of those monsters are just horrifying jumbles of pixels and flesh. Yeah, you can't tell what like, they are. Exactly. So you, your brain has to do so much of the work and it's automatically going to fill in things that are way scarier to you personally. Yeah. And I think that that sentiment is one of the things that's really carried uh, Haunted PS1 as a movement is the idea of um, intentional vagueness in order to force your brain to make connections to it in a way that it wouldn't if it was like, you know, uh, closer to the way that modern graphics look. Yeah. So. And uh, those games also not only have this like way that you can't relate to them because of like the horror mm -hmm. itself, but then there are games that are very relatable for people. I, uh, mm -hmm. well, I forget the name of it, but it's uh, like the RG RPG maker style game of an outcry an outcry. Yeah. Where it's yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very obvious that this is a uh, trans main character. And it's like this right wing organization is like mm -hmm. the focus of it. And it's like a very real thing that people can feel horror about and it feels relatable about in certain mm -hmm. ways. And I think I love that the most about the indie game community mm -hmm. is that they're able to tell these stories that, you know, a board of directors would be like, eh, maybe this is a little too, mm -hmm. you know, too political. It's There's too no political. focus. There's testing. no main, right. the mainstream won't like this, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I, I think that that's one of the really important things about um, like how, uh, widespread developer tools are and how easy they are to access. Like, um, I, I'm personally an Unreal guy. I've always been an Unreal guy. I've been playing Unreal tournaments since I was like six. Um, <laughs> hey, let's go. But, but like, you know, the, the, the fact that you don't have to pay for Unreal, like anything you release in Unreal Engine and you get the premium right off the bat uh, until you make like $100,000 a quarter, I think they actually just upped it to a million, um, is, is such a game changer because, you know, you have this like, uh, asset store that's like completely accessible and has a ton of free stuff. You have all these tutorials online. And so there's all these stories that are being told in this like interactive fiction format that just like couldn't exist before this. You know, you see stuff like, uh, like Yume Nikki and uh, like Eve and stuff like that. That's like very, very abstract because, you know, you're limited by the RPG maker format. But now that yeah. 3D games are becoming something that's like way more accessible, you're 
starting to see stuff like uh oh man i there's a game made by uh, a friend of mine named color fiction called ae where you just wander around this really like upsetting environment and it's just it's this like hopeless um like vague beautiful environment that is exclusively meant to be like a um a place that you just go and think about things it's it's like a place that you can kind of just wander around for inspiration that's not a thing that could have existed outside of like maybe a different cut of journey you know in yeah. at any point in the last you know however many years so it's it's really nice to see that these like um you know well-funded tool sets are becoming completely accessible for like hobby level developers uh and i think that that's you know just contributed so much to uh like the indie game scene yeah i've no. had uh in my head i've had this reoccurring um vision i guess mm -hmm. of something in rpg maker uh, where the concept is you are inside of a fleshy some you know you're inside of a big monster and you know stop me if you've heard this before no no uh, no rpg maker does like fleshy nasty hallways better than just about yes. anything else that i've like used and RPG uh, awesome. and i think i it was like this weird fever dream because it was like you know one of one of your one of your uh allies that you find is like this shoe that's like upside down with legs and yeah. uh, it it takes the shoe off towards the end as this big dramatic reveal, uh, and I'm like, why is this still? A this has been in my head since I was twelve. You should honestly make it. That's what I'm saying. Is that the newer versions of like RPG Maker and Unreal Five just came out? You know, these engines are really easy to pick up, especially if you have an artistic background. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you just throw together a tile set in RPG Maker and you've got a game. All you just got, all you have to learn how to do is like event scripting and things like that. Yeah, and, I, and, and there's tutorials for all that. So Yeah, and I think the newest, uh, I think one of the newer versions, MV, like it has like Android and everything like compatibility or like mobile compatibilities now. So you can just push it out to, you know, whatever mm -hmm. platform you want. But, yeah, uh, there's there's been a big push for like mobile, considering yeah. it makes I think more money than all other forms of games combined, including like tabletops, which is insane. Significantly more accessible. You got mm -hmm. games on your phone? Hey, <laughs> As kids exactly. Say. But uh, uh, I want to circle back uh, real quick to this day and age. Yeah, game design anybody can get into it. You buy RPG, you, you buy RPG Maker, you buy Game Maker Studio too, which I use and I play around with from time to time, just kind of figuring it out. It's my first out. engine, yeah. Uh, I mean, but my first one was RPG Maker on the PS2. It was like the 3D one oh, wild. that they yeah. made, and yeah, I had yeah, yeah, no yeah. idea what it was I was looking at. <laughs> um, but you think like we've come that far, like circling back to the John Carmack thing, like the original thing where it's like people can make, you know, the wads for Doom and just make mm -hmm. their whole own like maps and everything for it. And then you got, you know, Source that dropped and people were doing stuff, uh, making, mm -hmm. uh, stuff based on like the half-life engine and then mm -hmm. you had the period of amnesia where people were just making their own amnesia stories and maps and everything and you just see like this steady growth of just the accessibility of uh you know game development and just user created content which i think is very important for the longevity of a lot of games mm -hmm. i don't think amnesia would have had the lifespan it did if people could not make their own you know stories in that engine and uh no, good, job on, good job to frictional for doing that in engine for their game too so oh yeah and I, I think that that's one of the big differences is you know these the i i i can't in any good conscious say conscience say that this hasn't been going on for years and years like 
you know, so many of the Warcraft the, the, three, Starcraft. Yeah, I mean, we got so League of Legends out of a custom mm -hmm. Dota, or we got Dota out of a custom Warcraft thing, and then that gave yeah. us League of Legends. Like, there's this step by step to one of the biggest games in the world being a user created yeah thing so mm -hmm. especially with like and it's interesting to see how it's diverged because i think that that's been the big difference in the last couple of years and it's why you're seeing so many really amazing like indie projects pop up is because this has gone from a niche thing that you can do in the engine for other games to let's make a tool set specifically for making games from the ground up and that's actually what what i largely got started with like i i jumped straight into unreal back in college just because i i felt like making a making a, a meme horror game and uh and i just got i just really really enjoyed it but i was just like yeah i'll just pick up unreal i watched a couple tutorials put out my first game in six months and like haven't looked back since <laughs> um you know but like there there's something about the fact that it's you know you have this dedicated um you know, let's make a game engine rather than let's make a really competent mod set that you need like programming experience for. Yeah. Like I've been, I've been making games for five, what, five, six years now. I have never written a single line of code. I, I, I managed to get a job in like professionally in games without knowing a single line of C++. <laughs> uh, I, I exclusively use uh, Unreal's um, in-engine uh, visual scripting language. It's called Blueprint. And it's, especially if you don't have coding experience is like visual script is one of the best things you can learn uh, because there are professional applications and it might not run as efficiently as C++, but if you're just like making a game on your own on the PC, that doesn't really matter. You know, as long as your load times aren't terrible and it's not chugging, who cares? You know, some of the best games I've ever played are held together with like duct tape and a prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not not ours. Not ours. Our games are our games are well formatted. And, our uh, games are great. great. Super, Buy super our well games. put together. It's um, like a it's like my experience with RPG Maker because I did stuff in RPG Maker and their visual like thing where it's like here's your conditions, here's what here, you select what triggers the event. Like it's more of like a like step by like a checklist of like okay, mm -hmm. do I want it Watch to continue? Am I am I done? But you can mm -hmm. like select them. It's not you having to sit there and type out stuff. And then mm -hmm. me going to Game Maker Studio too, where it's like, oh, I actually have to write the code for like the movement of this yeah. block on a background. So I'm and like, that All turns right, so many people off. Honestly, let's go to Google. It, <laughs> that's that's been the thing that has has turned so many people that I know off of game design. It's just just like, oh man, I have to learn C sharp. Oh man, I have to learn you know Python. Uh, I have to learn whatever the hell Godot uses. Um, you know, it, it, it's just like it's this one inch barrier. You know, of of like kind of learning this new language but once you get past that it's like oh you know this thing i use to make a dialogue system i can also use to like use that oh is something in front of me to use to like make a wall climb for example that was something i did in my first project you know but it's it's like you, you almost have to learn uh like a spatial language it's almost like converting english into calculus for example it's it's just not a one-to-one -one conversion but once you get your brain working like that uh it's it's you know you're you're done you, you've got you got a whole it, career ahead of you. It's it, awesome. It's also the thing of like learning, learning to learning the rules so you can then break the rules. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's like this shouldn't work, but it does. And therefore it works. I think uh, my favorite story with that is that the Dead Space guys for Dead Space 1, they mm -hmm. had this engine and they knew its limitations and everything. Yeah. And they said that the part of the game, the part of development that almost like just ruined the game and just like a dead stop was when Isaac gets grabbed by the tentacle thing. 
and like dragged like through the ship towards the hole because they had to do a whole new thing of coding for that yep and it's like it almost killed development of dead space because they wanted it but it took them so long to figure out how to do it because they only thought about the limitations of the system rather than you know improving upon it oh yeah like any any major like gameplay mechanic is is going to take at least like a week or so to get right like and that's just for like oh you know like i'm i'm working on a uh, like a sword that like you know does whatever it's like if it doesn't do what a sword is supposed to do like and the way the rest of the swords work that's at least a week of just how do we write a system to get this to work do i have to do this math manually do we have precedent for this can i cannibalize any other script to make this happen um but especially if it's like a massive departure from the normal like format of the the rest of the game uh that definitely took at least a month it's 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 really wild to me like how much uh tiny things like that or what should theoretically be tiny things like that are just like absolutely the worst to put together yeah Yeah. and we're seeing that now with like the dead space remake like all of their footage is like look we're trying to get this as close to the original as we can in terms of coding like they spent Mm -hmm. months figuring out how to just make the gun feel right like the plasma cutter and it's just like I don't know if that's well, like detrimental to their development or if it's like they're like, hey, we're taking this very seriously for you guys. So Well, I think it's just a question of priority at that point. It's like you're you're making a remake of a game that came out what, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Oh, I think God. Ten, no, I think oh. ten years. That's, ten or fifteen. I, I feel I just, old. I just played it recently. <laughs> I should know this. It's <laughs> a it's a good game. Yeah, but like, it still holds it up. Like, like I played through the first one in like the last few months. It still holds up. It is still an incredible game, and two, oh, yeah. it's still even better. <laughs> yeah, like, Dead Space Two is an un like Dead Space Two in particular is an unbelievable game. And then um, I quit like, three episodes into three. So yeah, no, I, I did not like three personally. But the thing the thing about it is, it's like we're making a remake of a game. The real question is why? Like, what? What is? What has brought you to the point where you're like, yes, I need to do a remake of this game that came out 10, 15 years ago. Uh, what do I want to change about it? Um, the Last of Us moment. Yeah, I, I personally <laughs> don't. I, I'm getting a little sick of remasters, especially like if it's if it's Fuck like PS, if it's like PS3 or later. I, I don't. I don't know. Like like Demon Souls, even like. I, I see why Bluepoint did that, and I, I honestly like. I think that Bluepoint is one is one of the studios that's doing these remasters in a way that's like cool and fun and interesting. Um, you know, because like uh, like Demon Souls remake, it's like okay, we're keeping most of the code, but let's update all the visuals. Let's make it really you know pretty in a way that they weren't technically able to back on the PS3. Um, you know, let's write better net code. Let's do this, that, and the other to give people a smoother experience and kind of le- let them re-experience this thing that's now at least kind of lo-fi. Um, but I feel like Dead Space, e- even visually, like really holds up. Like it that does. gore system is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, no pun intended. Um, so yeah. the thing about it is, it's like what what are you trying to accomplish with a remaster that? you know wasn't present in the original either because it wasn't technically possible or there were limitations uh are you restoring cut content uh that's the reason i that's the kinds of things i feel like you should make a remake rather than a remaster i think uh uh, i think ea just realized that their single player games sell so now they're going back it's like where's all of our single game properties (laughs) oh god i'm so glad we're going back to single player focus um, 
so excited just the, about it. Don't, don't forget just Blizzard, the though, topic, with Warcraft 3. It's like, I like money. On the topic of just yeah. re, on the topic of remasters, if I can walk into GameStop and buy the game today, it doesn't need mm. a remaster. Like if it's I would generally agree with that, yeah. If I it's mean, a game that's PS1 or PS2 that you know people are it's harder to find or the you know secondhand prices are just out the window because of just how few copies are still around. I mean, by all means, remake it, bring it up to date, you know, introduce it to a new generation. Mm -hmm. But But I feel like do it in a way that like is meaningful and like changes something about the experience. Like the Crash, Crash and Spyro's uh, remasters. Yeah, I I, I actually, um, one of the the guys, shout out to Aaron, who uh, (laughs) uh, worked at Toys for Bob back when they were working on Spyro Reignited was like one of the people that was super duper helpful to me, like when I was first starting to get into the industry. Uh, he got me connected with like a lot of really cool people, and that's that's the nice thing about folks in games is like anybody who's already in the industry knows what a pain in the, pain in the ass it is to get into the industry. So they'll like go to insane lengths to just like help you, especially if you're talented and driven. Like you know, showing that um, kind of initiative that you're like reaching out to people and um, you know doing everything you can to set yourself up for success in the industry. Uh, people will see that and just like, you know, show you what they can and just have you run with it. Um, yeah, games industry people are like the best kind of people. Yeah. Or at least the ones I've met. I mean, I know one person in the game hey. industry and there they're they pretty are. awesome. So, um, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to switch gears to uh, actually talking about game in the industry, as you've alluded to here. Um, so, for those of you who do not know, I am actually actively. Uh, seeking employment where I can. And one of those things uh, I know is, you know, on the bottom level of not the bottom level, because that implies bad, but like on the, on that bottom level of like uh, entry level of games industry is like QA testing. Yeah. Um, It's really interesting to me for, for folks who are uh, like not technically experienced, but have uh, a, a lot of people have this misconception that QA is like one of those like unskilled jobs, like whatever, you know, it's just people who play video games all day. And it's like, I honestly, I look at a lot of the um, the work that the QA guys are doing at our studio, and I'm like, I never would have found that. You have to have this really, um, like, pursuant mindset where you're willing to figure out not only, hey, this is broken, but, like, crack down all the use cases and 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 figure out maybe, like, what situations and what variables are in place that are causing these kinds of problems. So ga- game sense. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, there's a big difference between... Oh, I I think I can be QA because I can run into walls and like break stuff easily, and you know I have IT experience and like customer service experience, so I understand the process of like you know reporting bugs and 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 like finding the source of of uh, issues and whether or not they're consistent, how to re you know reproduce them, things like that. Um, so the thing that I I generally recommend for a lot of people going into the industry because those tester jobs are really sought after by people who don't necessarily have that information uh is actually production um production is a really really cool job it's actually what i specialized in college um i'm i'm almost entirely self-taught on the design side but uh most of my experience with uh directing and uh uh running projects actually is from my college experience one of my professors was a producer on borderlands um but uh, if you really enjoy, um, you know, the process of, of of creative work and making sure that, you know, if you like herding cats, essentially, and you like uh, organization, <laughs> sure all the timetables are on time. 
Exactly. Yeah. Production is, is such an undervalued, uh, and underrepresented job, uh, that it's definitely something to look into. Um, I, I actually, like, if I didn't get this design job was starting to apply for assistant producer jobs because, um, I just understand the process of how games are made, um, well enough at this point because I was solo for so long that I think I'd, I, I'd actually probably be able to do a half decent job, like, you know, making sure all the devs like have what they need and stuff like that. But I ended up being a designer, so what uh so what steps would you uh say to people who are trying to get into the industry as like yes uh so you have the job you are looking at um uh, what steps would you say would be the optimal steps for them to take um so the two really big pieces of advice that i got while i was applying are um to have an insane portfolio uh and to network as much as possible um you know, it's it, going off the portfolio thing. I can actually send you a link if you want, but it's uh, um, one of the things that really stuck out about my uh, application uh, when I was talking with my now boss after I was hired is the fact that I had uh, not only uh, a, a, a grouping of like small kind of example concept pieces that I threw together because I just wanted to build a mechanic because it was fun. Um, what they're really looking for is that you've... Uh, committed to a feature rich project and stuck with it because the thing about it is it's like you know anybody can throw you know their heart into game design for like five months and then quit you know you, you'll get yourself burnt out if you don't know how to manage your time um so having one f fully fleshed out well thought out well designed project is going to be worth more than like you know 10 million of these like little kind of example projects they're good to have um, but the more like large, especially shipped projects you have, the better your chances are. Um, for example, I, so just uh, do it. I, yeah, just, exactly. Just do it. <laughs> exactly. But if you're going to do it, commit to it is, yeah. is, is, is don't like the thing that everybody misses. It. Exactly. You can't half-ass um, it know. if you're looking for this to be like a career path for you. Right. Like I, for example, I only had one shipped project when I, when I got my job, you know, most studios will put like a, you know, three shipped projects required minimum for junior level. Like, how are you supposed to get that? Um, you know, so the fact that I had um, a contract under my belt, I actually directed a game for uh, DreadX Collection 2. Uh, I don't know what it is with me in twos. Um, but, you know, I, I directed uh, uh, an entire horror game in two weeks. I was on a team with three other uh, really awesome devs and a couple of contractors helping out with, like, animation work and things like that. Um but because I had this project that I had um, pretty much gotten the opportunity to direct because I was, uh, you know, friends with people from Haunted PS1 and I had made these connections with these other people and worked on like a small game jam game with the guys that I ended up working on uh, the diving bell with, um, you know, I got this opportunity to get, you know, have two weeks and some funding to like make whatever we wanted. Um, so, you know, having that opportunity, like I got more burnt out in those two weeks uh, because I didn't know how to manage my own expectations, then I have the entirety of the, you know, year and a quarter or so I've been working at Gunfire. Um, just ex experiencing, I, I don't want to say having a bad experience, because it was a, it, working on DreadX was a really great experience, but having the experience of, I want to make a thing, but I don't have the time or resources to make it, like, what I want it to be, so here's how I'm adjusting my design, like, in res in respect to that, that's the knowledge that they're really looking for you to have. It's not, I know how to make games. It's, I know how to not destroy myself while making games. Um, 
And then the other really big thing I can think of right off the top of my head is uh, like everybody talks about like jokes about LinkedIn. It's so helpful. Um, back when I was uh, back when I was first applying for uh, design jobs in I think August of like 2020 or yeah, 2020, um, you know, I, I didn't have the experience like I had, I had finished that ship project, but I still didn't have the kind of mindset that I needed uh, to like get where I was going. So I got on LinkedIn and I started uh, messaging people at these companies that I wanted to work at saying, hi, you know, my name is Aiden. I, uh, I've been making games for so long. You know, I am eventually interested in getting to have your job title somewhere. Um, but I really like the games that, for example, Gunfire makes. Uh, and I was wondering what I what skills I could build and what I could do to make my uh, application more appealing to y'all as a studio and like, you know, what you're looking for in a, like a technical designer, for example. So, um, you know, when I was first applying, I had a lot of experience with, uh, you know, gameplay scripting, but I didn't have a lot of experience with like animation and state machines and things like that. Cause I'd never really worked on like a fighting game. Um, so, you know, building up those skills in the meantime, while I was working on these other projects was something that was really helpful for me. Um, so yeah, uh, find the person with the job that you want and just send them a message. Uh, it doesn't even have to be like a principal level designer or anything. You know, I, I, you know, some of the people who were, um, uh, I'm going to shout out another guy, uh, Wilson at airship syndicate, um, is just an absolute monster and, uh, sat with me for around two weeks and helped me rewrite my entire resume and CV just to apply to gunfire. Um, and like I was saying, you know, games industry, people will go out of their way to, like, help you as long as you're driven and know what you're talking about. Um, you know, but, like, you know, I, I I was applying for Airship Syndicate, but, you know, it, it didn't even matter that I didn't work there. He just, you know, saw that I cared about what I was talking about and and wanted to help. Um, you know, and, and having that resume uh, kind of um, workshopped and having my uh, portfolio workshopped and stuff like that when I did really push to work for, work at gunfire in particular was like a huge step forward from the last time I had applied. Cause I wait, I, I got my job around a year after I first applied and it was because I did all of that revision and made those connections and uh, messaged my now boss on LinkedIn. Um, so, you know, making connections along the way will get you where you want to go a lot faster. Yeah. I've, I've noticed people who are in the industry are also like a lot of people who are like at the senior level will make like a side hustle out of like doing boot camps with people. Um, it's something I've seen in the past. I honestly think that, you know, those are, those are great and all, but forming that personal one-on-one -on -one connection with these people, especially um, people at the companies where you're interested in working, who have worked on games that you're interested in. Um, you know, I think that, is honestly, I would argue, more valuable uh, as a professional uh, unless you don't actually have the uh, design skills that you would have had to have built to get to that point, in which case uh, boot camps are fantastic. Yes. It's just, uh, it's like a what what area do you need work in kind of thing. But like, if you're looking for an overall experience, yeah, those boot camps are fantastic. Sorry, yeah. Jerky, go ahead. I've been, uh... <laughs> I've been looking to uh, see if any colleges around here have like offered a game design course, and they they do here at uh, ODU, which is our like main uh, university here. But it's like all day things, and I'm like, man, if I didn't have to have a full time job, I could just like go to school to learn some of this stuff again. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, uh, this might be an unpopular opinion on my part, uh, but you don't need a degree as no. long as you. It, it will help you. It will maybe 
get the door open, you know, maybe get your foot in the door, but you will not get there on, it's, it's like, the quality of your work is so much more important to these, like, people who have been in the industry for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, they see how much, you know, these, like, indie devs are able to do with, like, maybe five people, if that, you know, so the quality of your work and the passion that you have for the projects that you're working on is infinitely more important than a piece of paper. Um, you know, not like having the knowledge to say, I like this thing about a game and here's why I like it and how I would do it differently in order to like make it better suit my own tastes is all the questions you need to be able to answer on a like work level. I mean, outside of like technical knowledge and things like that, sure. but like, um, you know, I will say that, like, I'm almost completely self-taught. My degree is actually in IT. Uh, so I you mean, do not need a, a degree in game design uh, to get into game design. It's, I mean, it's all about passion. I work as an electrician. I have a college degree in, uh, like, website design. So <laughs> It's a lot of those skills are transferable, dude. Uh, I'm telling you, like, uh, if you know C Sharp already, pick up uh, pick up Unity. No, mine was or, more of the uh, graphics side of it, like the actual display, not the programming itself. So I got, like, basic. something there. Basic. That's still super duper helpful, though. There, yeah. there are entire jobs that are um, a, a lot of web designers will actually move over to what's called UI design uh, oh, yeah. and UI scripting, which is basically just like whatever's on the screen yeah, the for HUD. those who are uninformed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, menus and going back uh, to dead space, going like back that. to dead space, mm. the cleanness oh, of that brilliant. HUD just being on the back of Isaac. Brilliant. Nothing so on smart. the screen, just ammo on the gun, health on the spine stasis on so the shoulder smart. and it's like this is like how how did they just like look at this and be like you know what <laughs> this <laughs> that was a galaxy brain move on there. <laughs> the thing the thing just, about it is it's like that might not have worked in a game like dark souls you know you oh, need no. like a more complicated ui specifically the uh the focus with dead space was on having no ui whatsoever yeah. so that all you're looking at is the scares that's what, <laughs> that's like, what i like about Resident Evil, like the early ones, is mm -hmm. it was the same thing. It's like there's no UI. It's just the only indication you have someone's hurt is that they start going like this and like mm -hmm. limping. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. another thing. It's like the movement starts to be affected by how damaged you are, and you don't see how damaged you are until you open up your menu and, and see like, you oh, have oh, the red, shit. you have the red bar and a red <laughs> herb and no other herbs, and you're like, I can't heal right now. But the thing about it is that's that's also an intentional choice. And it's like, oh, you know, visually, this makes sense to me as, oh, you know, oh, I'm in trouble. But from a dis and, and this is the step that you have to take in order to, like, like th this is the kind of steps you have to start taking to, like, you know, consider yourself like a like a pro level designer. And this is the kind of thing, like thought process they're looking for. Why is there no number? Why is there only a, a warning? Why can't you see that you have three hits left until you die? It's to make you anxious. Yeah. They were intentionally vague with telling you how much health you have left, specifically to make you more scared. Survival it horror. All man. It all added up. Exactly. It was, it was actual horror. But uh, the thing about it is, it's like, oh, well, I know I need to pause after this next guy hits me because I only have two hit points left, so I can only take one. Yeah. Right. That works great in Dark Souls, but with Resident Evil, it's like, oh, I don't know how many hits I have left until I go down. Because you don't know how much damage things do, and it's like there are times where it's like the exactly. liquor can just like, oh, it hits you once and then it hits you again, and you get the death animation of your head coming off, off and yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. these things just kill me. And it's like, um, I got that feeling again. I got onto itch.io again, and uh, love itch. 
Endless Blue. It's another uh, like mm. low. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they did the same thing. I'm like playing through, and it's like I don't see a health bar. I don't see a HUD. You open it up, it's that menu that pops up with the little mm-hmm. health thing, and I'm like, ah, this takes me back. Like this takes me <laughs> right back to that that cozy home. And that's the nice thing about you know, uh, th- I, I'm I'm very much a proponent of like games are art and games like first and foremost should be considered you know from an artistic lens. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that we're getting to a point in in the history of like game design and it's like uh, like advancing so rapidly that we're able to almost refer to like periods of art history just in the last like every time we go up a console generation is so fascinating to me because it means that we have this. Uh, like we as designers have this uh, really wide bank of knowledge and not only knowledge, but like nostalgia and memories of, oh, you know, everyone played Elden Ring when it came out. So uh, I, I don't know, like, uh, you know, you see red and that's it's like, oh, that's health. You know, th- this is just kind of an overarching game thing, but it's like, you know, you see red and that's health. You see blue. That's probably magic. You see green. That's probably stamina. Like it, is is health as a concept in real life red? No. It's, it's just, you know, you, you know, inherently that that's how much life you have left because other games have done it that way, you know? So in establishing these kinds of conventions, you're not only able to communicate things to the player wordlessly without tutorials, but you're also able to subvert those expectations. And that's what Haunted PS1 is about. It's, Hey, uh, why does the health bar go down constantly? That makes me anxious. I've, (laughs) I've run out and now it's starting to go into the negatives. Why is that happening? You know, and it's like, oh, well, I'm really nervous now. Holy shit, a monster, you know. And uh, taking it back to that, uh, you know, video games as an art form and kind of looping it back to the remakes and remasters. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of gaming history just isn't available to a lot of people right now. And I mean, you've got you got the stores with the digital copies. Mm -hmm. I mean, but even I don't think those like transferred between generations. So it's like exactly. stuff rarely. I buy stuff. I buy on my PS three is like on my PS three. I can't get it to PS four, mm-hmm. you know, but then there are games on, you know, PS two. I'm going to continue to sing the praises about dark watch because it's one of my favorite first person shooters. That's the cowboy one with the like the cowboy vampires. Gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 cow- yeah, yeah. And it's, like, ass, man. it's like, this is great. Yeah. I can't play it anyway, besides going out and getting a PS two disc or, mm-hmm doing the emulator thing but even like then the emulator the rom has bugs that make it unplayable if you hit a certain thing at a time so I, it's like how am i supposed to play this game unless i dish out the money for a ps2 and the game itself exactly i i actually this 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 made me think of something really funny <laughs> uh first of all this the very cynical part of my brain is telling me that all of these remakes and remasters are a sign that they're intentionally not preserving this media so that they can just present it in whatever format they they being you know like because capitalism. exactly um you know there, there's a very very cynical part of my brain that says this is happening on purpose and that's why these companies crack so hard crack down so hard on emulation and like you know media preservation as a whole um, and then I think about the time, uh, I, I, um, uh, I got a, uh, I got, uh, Klonoa 2 running on, uh, my computer and, <laughs> I I don't know what the hell was wrong with the copy that I had, but the entire <laughs> ocean was made out of static and none of the music worked. So it felt like a horror game. Uh, I, uh, I, I played it for maybe 15 minutes with like, the most visually upsetting bugs I have ever experienced in a game that I have nostalgia for. And then my, my hard drive broke. Like, 
like that's not a reliable way to be able to experience media from your childhood. That's that's like not how this should work. I feel like I feel like, you know, game preservation is something that really hasn't been considered, especially for like these kind of more obscure titles that like I don't know a single other person who's ever played Star Wars Demolition for the PS1. Oh, is that uh, the racing one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh it's the one God. where you like drive around and you get like, <laughs> oh, like I'm this, so it's, glad someone it's else. Star Wars, it. if I remember, it's Star uh, Wars Twisted Metal. Star Wars Twisted Metal, baby. And you just have <laughs> I, you have all these people in their game. vehicles. And then you just have Boba Fett with his jetpack. <laughs> just driving around on a jetpack. <laughs> it's like a, played, just a guy. I remember playing that game just for hours and hours. Uh, and then, like, I, I was at least, like, 50 hours into playing this game, and then I unlocked a character, and I was like, my little six-year-old brain, like, <laughs> exploded. God, you know, that's... just the fact that, like, you know, especially pre-internet, the fact that you would just be able to, like, come across something in a video game is something that I don't know if we're ever going to be able to, I was about like, to say, reproduce as an industry without, like, really, really good random generation. Oh, can we just, like, remember those days where it's like, man... Playing this game got you stuff. Yeah. It wasn't paying for it. It wasn't season passes. It was you beat this level and under this time with this other factor, you've unlocked this character. Yeah, you, you unlocked beat... an entirely different character with its own moveset and like all this other crazy shit. You I beat one out for a real one. Man. You Ugh. beat Resident Evil in three hours with three saves. Here's hard mode. Like yeah. those kind of Things. Here's like, Honk, here's Tofu. Yeah, here's Honk, here's Tofu, here's the infinite rocket launcher. It's like, just those little rewards, you know? I miss that, yeah. And, and I, I, that's the nice thing about it is, um, you know, I feel like AAA games are kind of moving towards that, like, like uh, uh, what was the name of that game? Godfall? The, the one that was made by Platinum that, like, was an online-only single-player game that, like, 15 people played. Yeah, I was so sad because uh, that game looked awesome. Bop. Kind of a bop. But... <laughs> But it's like, you know, you have these, like, massive studios that think they know what people want, but the problem is they're just pushing out the same game every year. So it's like everybody's getting sick of it. So you see these, uh, you know, like, gunfire-level, like, double-A studios that have, you know, the funding to be able to make a lot of these uh, a lot of stuff that indies wouldn't be able to make and are able to pull these influences from these, you know, micro-indie games, you know, itch.io, haunted PS1 kind of stuff without nearly as much of the corporate oversight. And that's part of why I really, really like working at Gunfire is the president of our company doesn't have an office. He He's at the cluster of desks next to me, and we're all just in one big room, except the audio guys, but that's because they need a door that they can, like, close to make sounds. Don't um, so shut up, we're doing audio. It is, it's like, you know, <laughs> I remember one of the things that really sold me on the job here was the fact that, you know, in my interview, they were like, yeah, you know, we're really opposed to the whole, like, microtransaction formula, you know, we want to make sure, you know, get this game into as many people's hands as possible and have them get as much out of it as possible without, you know, a bunch of hidden fees. And like, oh, I would play this thing that you worked really hard on, but I don't feel like paying an extra five bucks for the, for the, like, uh, the, like, skins pack or, like, the, oh, you know, you get five extra side missions or whatever. It's like, like, just, just let me buy a game once. Yeah. Um, let me buy a you know, full game. Exactly. So I, I think that that mentality is something that's really different about uh, like everything from micro indie all the way up to like, you know, double A. It's something that I really feel like is is missing from a lot of these like, you know, massive scale, you know, it, again, different priorities. You know, these these triple A games look un unbelievable. It's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's just I personally would rather have a game that looks worse and is more fun to play that was made by 
people who worked less hard for more money. I mean, you know what I mean? I like the game that it was at for me recently, like Tunic. Tunic oh, looks yeah. sick, real good. Go- it Tunic's looks gorgeous. Fantastic. The music is great. The gameplay mm-hmm. is a very good Dark Souls slash Zelda mix. And mm-hmm. it's like it was done by one guy. Everything yeah. was done by one guy. But I think except well, for the soundtrack, but I know he did pretty much everything himself. And I'm like, just fascinating. Yeah. The presentation, like you find the pages of the instruction manual that like guides you through the game and gives you like little hints on like the maps and everything on it. I'm like, it's so charming. I'm like, I, this is like my childhood, like me pulling the Super Nintendo box open and pulling out the little instruction manual to see how to play mm-hmm. the game. It's just. No, man. I completely agree. Uh, well, I, fun fact, my buddy Harris, actually, shout out Harris, <laughs> runs uh, Finjiko. Uh, he's the community manager. So he, he actually, nice. I believe, is the community manager for Tunic. Yeah, really cool dude. Um, but, you know, it's it's so interesting to see these companies like Finji and uh, New Blood, for those of you who uh, enjoy. Uh, I follow Dave Osher. I follow Dave Osher. I, the Twitter game is oh, so good. He's what a was maniac. It, uh, what, was the, what did he just buy? He bought a URL. Um, oh, his Dave Oshry's URL collection grows every single day. Something came, was coming out, so he bought like it was the game title DLC.com, and it linked you to his game page on Steam. Love it. And it's like love that's it. all he does, and I'm like, Dave, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I love that shit posting is a viable like marketing it's strategy. His, these it's his days. whole market strategy. He's, he's, he's brilliant. <laughs> I, I like Dave Oshry was one of the people that like. I, I remember um, I've actually played uh, Dusk with Dave Szymanski in a voice so chat. Good. Uh, Dusk literally like I don't want to say it was like life changing for me because that's it was it was a really, really good game. But like the thing for me that like sold me on that game was the fact that you can just like if you're in the air, you can continuously look down and, and do a flip. Yeah, like that that's something you would never, ever see in like a large production game. But because it was made by one guy who just really knew what he wanted to make. You know, you see stuff like that pop out and it's like, you know, mm. oh, you know, I loved Half-Life, but like Dusk was like a whole different experience for me because of this one thing. Um, but, you know, it's it's really awesome to see these companies that are like, you know, we are going to put a shitload of faith in like three guys who have a really specific vision for a super cool thing. Um, um, look at Gloomwood. I mean, that the oh, early, yeah, the early yeah, access yeah, yeah. for that just dropped. And it's like there was a whole point of, you know, can I drop like items like stuff from twitter it's like hey uh what about this for the items like carrying and it's like yeah that sounds good and it's like hey what if uh, i do this on like this lamp and he's like yeah i'll see if i can put that in and it's just like a bunch of little things that don't even matter in the grand scheme of it but it's just like the immersion of the game where it's like oh look i can hit this light and like it darkens the room and this is like like a boomer this is like just a low-fi you know first person like stealth game And it's like, well, oh, I didn't a, think about that's that. That's the really thing about like really interesting thing about like immersive sims like like Gloomwood in you know the age of Twitter in particular yeah. is uh the fact that it's like, oh, you know, the whole basis of an immersive sim is just we built everything in terms of gameplay off of systemic interactions. Like uh uh Dishonored's a really another really good example. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like very few things in the gameplay are actually planned. It's just we built a bunch of systems with like really, really intense permutations and just watched how they interact. So the thing about it is if you're able to crowdsource, oh, hey, I tried to do this and it didn't work, you know, that like broke my immersion a little bit. It's like, okay, well now that works, you know, 
So I think we're going to see a lot of like uh, the the System Shock remake. I'm really really excited for specifically because it's I think one of the first major like studio release immersive simulators that's you know kind of in that like post I guess um, like post. Undertale was kind of the moment where I was like oh like indie game Twitter exists. I think Undertale you know? kind of changed the landscape really of the indie did. game because it wasn't just the fact that it's a great game. It's also like the little things, like the fact that your data is kept in a file. So if you restart, it's like, oh, you've done this before. And it's like, it's, start, it's, it's like that level of persistence it's like, and like meta thinking this that you never just, really saw before. Yeah, it's like, it's not just the game. This is, this is more than just the game at this point. And then it's like, mm -hmm. here's all these little hidden triggers that can do later stuff in the game. It's, mm -hmm. I'm like, I think Undertale did just like hit the landscape with just like this right hook and everybody took notice of it. Oh yeah, no, it really like it's it's so interesting to me how many like design choices nowadays have just been like so heavily affected by how open-ended that game was and the fact that it had already thought of everything before you did and it's like, "Oh, what happens if I I I remember one of the things that like outside of just playing Little Big Planet for endless hours and just making whatever, uh one of the moments where I really was like, "Oh man, game design's really cool. I think I want to do this." Um, was when I was playing Undertale and I was like right before the first boss in my neutral run. Uh, and I, I think I had beaten the main boss once. And then I just walked all the way back to the first room in the game saying like, oh man, you know, I wonder if there's like something different in the first room because it's like an important story beat that kind of gets echoed at the end. And there was like, I was, I was rewarded for like making the entire adventure that I had just done backwards and there was something there. Like, that's crazy. Um, you know, it's a, it's a feeling I haven't really felt since until I, like, like Elden Ring was, like, one of the first things that I've felt that way about because it just rewarded me for, like, oh, yeah, you know, there's, like, a there's like a ledge over here, whatever, and you go over on the ledge and there's, like, a, a unique sword over there. Like, that's insane. That's not, like, a thing that would have been possible without, you know, the way, you know, the, the efficiency and, like, way that games are made nowadays. Um, so it's just, it's really interesting to see, you know, how these breakthroughs in design philosophy and things like that are able to just, uh, you know, so heavily affect everything from there on. And it's like, you won't see those kinds of risks taken outside of that micro indie space because, oh, what if we lose funding? Cause we made a decision that people didn't like. And it's like, screw funding. I'm just some guy in his bedroom. Like, I'm just going to make a <laughs> weird thing. And then all of a sudden you see that same kind of design idea pop up and like, you know, something that's like a triple A game. And it's like, oh, hey, I did that. That's crazy. It's a like the two outcomes for, I think, like triple A thing. It's like you make it, it succeeds. They like make you one of their flagship studios. And it's like, hey, make a sequel for us or something like that or make another game. And or you they fail, drive into the dirt or you fail. Mm -hmm. And then they give you a game to design that you have no business designing like they did with Visceral, where it's like, hey, Dead Space is good. Can you make Battlefield for us? <laughs> and then you know they cannibalized the I've never understood the point of recycling an IP uh in a format that is just so drastically different from the reason that people loved it in the first place. Dead Space is like the one that I always think of, but like even Doom Eternal to some extent like really iterated on a lot of the stuff that Doom 2016 did well and the fact that like the whole story was cut from Doom 2016 making it a better game um I almost worry was a sentiment that was kind of lost when it came around to, you know, Doom Eternal when they were like, okay, you know, batshit insane, crazy, fast first person shooter. People like this, right? Let's make it 
even more insane and, and make it so that you have to get way better at the tech in order to succeed. Uh, but also let's put a bunch of story beats in here for like, like that reference something that happened between the two games that nobody knows about. So now you have to go read a comic and it's like, yeah, but like, I feel like that, that in particular as an element in Doom Eternal was something that was really like lost in translation from the first game to the sequel. Uh, I think I would have actually enjoyed Doom Eternal less with less explanation. <laughs> like the idea of like, you know, some guy's trying to monologue at me and I just pop him in the face with a shotgun. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. That's I, Doom. I wanted to like Doom Eternal, but mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like the game changed too much from what I liked about Doom 2016. It made it feel more of like an arcade shooter than just I, that uh, frantic arena shooter that Doom 2016 just fucking nailed on the first try. I think that Doom 2016 was lightning in a bottle to some extent. Yeah. It's really hard to follow up a game that is that focused and that intent on doing exactly one thing. Because the thing about it is it's like if they had made Doom 2016 too, it wouldn't have done well. Because it's like, oh, well, that's just Doom again. Like, what, what's new about this one? Uh, so for me personally, as somebody who... Um, has the mentality of a crackhead. Like I really enjoy just like the faster a game is and the more it lets me just like move around to space, the more I'm going to enjoy it. Um, Mirror's Edge is a classic for me. Um, there's a game called Dead Core that I go back and play every once in a while. That's just a like first person puzzle platforming shooter. It's, it's really hard to explain, but like just stuff that lets you move in a cool and satisfying way um, is, like, always going to be right up my alley. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed Doom Eternal, but I remember, like, and it's funny for me, as a person who enjoys, like, game stories, like, how much I just felt myself tuning out during these, like, uh, these, like, uh, narrative segments. Mm -hmm. um, I would rather just be shooting stuff and have someone talk in my ear while I kill things, like, if it's formatted like Doom. I like um, Halo. They, uh, the thing with... A little bit closer to that, but just fast yeah. yeah the thing with doom Halo, eternal, but fast. the thing with doom eternal is that it wasn't trying to be a sequel to doom 2016 it was trying to be a sequel to all of doom mm -hmm. so i think that's where they kind of lost it a bit where it's like oh look mm -hmm. this is not just this timeline this is another timeline exactly but the same original so it's like mm -hmm. so you've complicated the story yeah exactly and bit. you have to take time to explain this and if people are just shooting stuff then they're gonna miss that and like and so it's like okay now we have to put cutscenes. um so it's like they either had the option to do away with the story entirely and just have you shoot stuff again or yeah. do what they did and potentially alienate people by like making them sit through cutscenes. the legend so. of zelda moment there's a big legend of zelda moment but uh yeah they also it's like just like a minor spoiler for uh, the Ancient Gods one. They straight up ripped the Avengers scene for a story beat in that for a story beat in that fucking moment. I, and I mean, I was hyped for it. I love scenes like that, but I was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is very obvious where they got this idea from. Yeah, it, it, it I feel like they didn't go campy enough, honestly. I like, think would make everybody Doom complained great. about how hypercolor it was. But like I want, I wanted it to be goofier. I like if you're gonna make everything pink and green and yellow and just like flying all over the screen. Give just me a like, big head mode. Exactly. Just give me, give me big and stupid. Like I like big and stupid. It's like my favorite kind the of Halo like, DMC confetti. Three. The Halo exactly. confetti. Just like you shoot a grunt to the head and it's like party popper. You know. Like, like give me more shit like that. Like you know, I feel like if you're gonna commit to something being 
goofy and ridiculous. You should like go the DMC three route where he's like, you know, Dante's got three knives through his chest and he catches a pizza box <laughs> and then just eats a slice of pizza. Like it's so dumb. Oh, God, but it's like so many cuts in that angle. But every talk? single second of DMC three, I never skipped a single cutscene in DMC three because it was just like. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, this is the part. This is the part where Sharky talks about Devil May Cry for a sec. I just yeah, Devil May Cry. I, so on my streams, I I I previously was playing Devil May Cry because I am not going to be able to beat that final boss. The gameplay change from the game I adjusted to to what the final boss is is just so. What where it like takes away your like second ability so, so you can command Virgil or whatever? Okay, no. So I'm playing Devil May Cry one. Oh I'm ar- yeah, yeah, I'm already yeah. frustrated with it because it's this hack and slash style game while trying to be survival horror. So it's fixed camera angles and it like, throws you go like one centimeter past a line and then Mm -hmm. the camera changes and it throws you off. Yeah. You get to the final boss and it's like a space Harrier. Like Mm -hmm. it's just flying through the air, shooting stuff. And then phase two is like a platform battle. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I can beat this game. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think the thing that, that DMC one in particular really like suffered from was that it started out as Resident Evil Four. It started out as Resident Evil Four, which yeah, I can't see Leon doing that through a castle. But then I, I would about love Res- to see Leon. But do then that I the think about Resident Evil Four, <laughs> and it's Leon doing sure that through that? a castle. So <laughs> I was gonna say it definitely yeah. happened in Resident Evil Four. Yeah, I just like. I, I remember that's that was one of the big things for me is because I, I, like, didn't finish Devil May Cry 2, you know? I remember thinking it was really cool that a lot of the, like, combat systems had been improved and you could run on walls, which was stupid and fun. Um, but I, I just couldn't get into it. I, I didn't like, like, edgy, like, like you know, like, da- like Dante and Devil May Cry 2 is just, like, boring. To I was me. told uh, to prepare for Devil May Cry 2 kind of being the worst of the original three. To at least if you get through. burnt out on it, just go to three. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've played three yet. Oh no. Um, the plan was to play through all of them, but after DMC one, I'm like, no, do yourself a favor. <laughs> do yourself a favor, man. Stick it out till DMC three. I literally got so into that game that I remapped my entire controller just <laughs> to make it easier for myself to play. It is that tight. It's really, it's a really, really good game. But the thing about it is it was able to become that good of a game because it wasn't being held back by de- being not resident evil anymore. Yeah, it was just identity. This, this didn't work last time. Let's just let's just go in all all in on the style. Um, it found its it found it. its it found its identity. It wasn't trying exactly. to be Resident Evil's identity. It's like let's make mm-hmm. the start of the crazy game genre, which eventually gave us you know Bayonetta, the mm-hmm. re, the newer Devil May Cry's, which are fantastic, which I hear are fantastic. Yeah, stuff like yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like Mad World. Mm-hmm. Like it's like yeah, Mad this World's is, awesome. I don't think with I think without Devil May Cry, I don't think Platinum Games exists. So. Oh yeah, and that gave us Revengeance, which is one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> Did, uh, if you ridiculous Metal Gear Solid to, game, it, ever. it is, and it's me, it's me worthy. Did uh, I think God Hand came out after Devil May Cry also? So I, I th- love God Hand. It's I a think ridiculous the God game. Hand is fascinating. It, it's mm-hmm. a. Re- they said they made the trailer. So the story behind that is that they made the trailer for the game as a comedy. And mm. fans loved it. So they went back and that. reprogrammed the game to be comedic rather than serious like they planned. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, like, just, like, the, the like, mash X to spank. Yeah. It's just, like, like that's not something you would see in a game nowadays. And that just makes me so sad. I, yeah. I'm really bummed that, like, honestly, I think that one of the things that we're going to start seeing, um, 
because we got, you know, PS, we're getting PS1 nostalgia right now, I think, if I had to bet money on it, the next thing that we're going to see is a resurgence of, like, uh, hyper-tight 3D platformers, uh, like, um... Give and me Ritzler. Ape Escape. Yes, I love Ape Escape. <laughs> I fucking love Ape Escape. Um... If you like Ape Escape, there's a, a project called Ocean Commotion that I did some work on uh, that's like underwater Ape Escape. I did a, uh, I did a like, gameplay scripting for that game. Old. It's so much fun. Um, shout out to Ian, who was one of the first people who ever commissioned me to go, do game design work. I mean, Love yeah. Ian. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's just Ape Escape, man. Talk about a game that yeah, deserves so that much game. more. Mm-hmm. I would love to. Ape Escape is something that I would love to see a remake of, honestly. Um but yeah, you know, I think that we're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, kind of character-driven 3D platformers coming out of the indie scene soon. But I also think we're going to see a lot of, like, DMC3-style character action stuff coming out, considering, like, how good people are getting at, you know, animation and things like that, especially in the indie scene. Uh, I'm really, really hoping we get, like, an era of PS2 nostalgia, because uh, that's what I grew up on, and uh, I'm a little bit biased, but I think that there's, like, a lot of cool material that's just not being utilized by the indie community because they're all focused on what they grew up with, you know, and a lot of these people are in their, like, you know, uh, early to mid-30s, so they're more, you know, PS1 era. Um, whereas, you know, I'm 25, and I grew up on, P you know, like, my first, like, really distinct memories of video games um, was, like, I had a PS1 for, like, a week, and then my dad got <laughs> me a PS2 because it had, like, the backwards compatibility. And, um, you know, so I, I grew up playing, like, Final Fantasy X and, like, Sly Cooper is something I would love to see. Uh, more of that's uh, not whatever the sequel was because I heard it was kind of garbage. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I really hope we get that kind of uh, fun, goofy, uh, like just starting to get its legs technically and be able to do some really wild stuff, um, you know, kind of ethos that was like very central to the PS2 era. Um, and then, and then everything's going to come crashing down when we get PS3 revival, but let's not talk about that. Me and, uh, me and Dagger here, uh, we talked about it on previous episodes being kind of old heads and everything. I mean, I grew up with Super Nintendo, so I have oh, this, wow, like, yeah. I have this little nostalgia for, you know, the top down or side scrolling like platformers and, uh, I mean, Deco on one of our episodes was pulling out like Jaguar as a thing that he played or something like that. And I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I'm thinking you're like the only person I know who actually has played that system. I think Deco I... might be the only people who's ever, who's ever owned a Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't own it. I rented it. Oh my, my God. That's my even better. My parents rented it. The Stalkbuster? Yeah. yeah. Wait, the, actually, yo. Yeah, the, actually. Yeah, Blockbuster, man. You could get systems. Again. It's just that nostalgia of showing up Friday, getting a game just by the box art, not mm. knowing what to expect. It's just. Did you, wait. uh, did y'all ever have the, the, the formative experience of being really scared of that one snowman themed horror movie in the Blockbuster with like the, the, the cover that had Jack, the, like. Jack Frost? Yes. Jack, Jack Frost? Frost? Yeah. <laughs> remember, like, oh my oh, God. It's, it's a movie about a snowman, and then it's... I walk three feet to the right, and it's like. Admittedly, it's the only movie that's ever made me scared of Gary Busey. So <laughs> I'm pretty valid. sure it's I'm pretty sure it's Gary Busey as the voice actor for him. So I just I just remember the 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 worst line in that movie is like, "What's the difference between snowmen and snowwomen? Snowballs." <laughs> the it, I've actually seen it. I, it's I, a I meme. Got too that's of a, the it is actual it. line. So in the movie. Jack. So it. Jack Frost is a like. It's not a good movie. But it's not. It is so like bad that it's fun to watch. I like, love the horror. It it's like the epitome of that. But uh, I think we're I, past our uh, time here. We are definitely past an hour. So, 
I mean, it's a great conversation and everything. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, time uh, here and I'm like, oh, well, this I think is uh, I, about time. <laughs> more than happy to like come back if y'all ever want to talk. Dude, you, every guest, every <laughs> guest we have goes onto a list. So when it's like, hey, we need a guest, it's like, all right, who can we pull out of the hat here? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, hey, are you, hey, are you available on Wednesday? <laughs> like, so it's like that's how we kind of do stuff with our guests here. But yeah, uh, man, this has been a great uh conversation today and very uh informative when it comes to you know kind of trying to get a foot into the industry or at least into game development itself you know just kind of just don't like push yourself but you know do it you know like it's not don't kill yourself over like your first project don't but... burn yourself out um but it's it's not so much how hard you push it's how smart you yeah. just have to be making the right moves or you're just going to be throwing muck at a wall for years and it's just going to burn you out yeah mm-hmm. so anything uh, you want to add deca final comments uh i i think i'm good here i'm i'm very happy that we finally got to like do this i remember talk i remember i had this idea for a while and i was like i wonder if he'd be i wonder if they'd be down maybe maybe Always. and then and then uh you didn't answer the first time i was like oh well they're not down okay let's just move let's move on <laughs> and then you finally answered i was like fuck yeah and i was like no hey. I- I'm like, who I are we getting? God, and it's like, my... rat, it's Rabbit. And I'm like, I know him. I talked to him on Twitter once or twice. <laughs> so. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's it's so funny. I uh, Discord is on, uh, logged into my account somewhere in the world. Uh, <laughs> and I don't get notifications anymore. Because oh, no. like all of my notifications are being sent to that one computer. And I don't know where it is. Uh, I might actually just have to make a new Discord at this point. But... Uh, yeah, oh, no, no, I absolutely, I absolutely love like going on podcasts, and I could just talk for hours about literally anything. Um, mm-hmm. So if you ever, if you ever like need uh, someone for the podcast, I'm always down. I love that. Hey, your name oh, yeah. is on a on a long list of uh, people we'd love to have back. Glad to hear it. But I'm glad we didn't go uh, three for three on uh, VTubers, though. People might have thought we people they're great they were great guests, but people might have thought that you know we've. Just kind of settled into a community. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah uh, we don't settle into any community. We're in all the communities. That's why we're without context. There yeah. you go. But uh, Yeah, and it, I can also totally, like, get y'all in contact with any... Oh, um, I actually just got in contact with uh, the guy who uh, is a solo developer on uh, the game that I play every day at lunch. It's called Peglin. It's a Peggle RPG. Uh, it's it's super cool. Um, <laughs> just but, the like, two reactions that we the surprise and then the intrigue <laughs> it's it's super fun it's in early access right now and i definitely i feel like i need to plug it because i literally play it every day but like i just reached out to him today and told him that you know something he worked on inspired something that i'm working on uh these people love to hear from folks like you you know like if you ever want to get in contact with a particular indie designer please just let me know you know oh, i'm more yeah. than happy to like be the in-between for that networking like getting into the game design industry hey (laughs) we're slowly uh my long-term plan is slowly coming together we've talked to a game developer a creative writer and a guy who does music we're slowly building the game squad (laughs) (laughs) starting a studio just off of of podcast guests i love it the infinity gauntlet of creatives I'll do it myself. Just, I love that. Just rabbit, just uh, just rabbit. No one hug monsters. Just like we're slowly building a team. I love that. That's like the most disjointed like game studio I can. It's ever a chaotic. Think of. It's a chaotic mess of a studio, but I mean it, they're all great people, and uh, yes. all those episodes are available. 
but um thank you rabbit for absolutely. being here today i know we kind of pulled you uh, out of work for a bit too i needed a break it's all good <laughs> so, and, uh, the break yeah. from your game to talk about games yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh you know, we'll, like we do with all of our guests, you know, we'll have a link to your Twitter. We'll have a link down to the new uh, Haunted PS1 uh, demo so people can check that out. I believe you need to have a uh, itch.io uh, like downloader to get it. I don't think it's on any other like release platform. It's, uh, Anything else it's, you want to plug? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's You can download it directly from the website, but if you have the launcher, it'll automatically keep itself updated with any patches that come out with the demos. Uh, it just makes it'll just make your life a lot easier. So yeah, if you're gonna uh, navigate through all the porn games that are on itch.io, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just a games platform. That's, that's just that's Check just a weird moment. There's no unlike Steam, which has like a criteria, which I don't mm -hmm. think they follow a lot when you look and at it. Still has porn page. games, and well, uh, thing... yeah, and it's just just like you know what, just whatever. <laughs> Well, the, I mean, that's the nice thing about it is it, Steam doesn't even really have that thorough of an approval process anymore. It's no, basically it, if you can pay a hundred bucks, you can get on their platform. It, but yes. that's the nice thing about Itch is you can put your shit up for free. Yeah. Just go use it. Uh, I'm plugging itch.io right now. If you're uh, wanting to get into games, put, put your stuff on itch.io. People they, will see it. And when it comes Hi, to, hey, doggo. And when it comes to Love wanting me. to get into game development, itch.io has constant game jams going mm -hmm. so i mean you want to make a small thing or any kind of theme game just to get your chops at it i mean it's dot io just almost every day just a game jam is like running for a period of time yeah. haunted ps1 also uh runs pretty regular game jams if you're looking to get specifically involved in a community of designers who are very very welcoming to new like people who are looking to get into the space um so uh summer of screams for example was actually uh, Summer Screams 2020 was the first game that I actually put on my portfolio. Nice. Uh, you know, I made a game in two days with my buddies Cody and Connor uh, and with music by Germ Food, who made uh, Night of the Consumers, if you've ever played that. And, I've heard of it. Uh, that, that actually ended up becoming the basis for... The, the code base for that is is actually what the Drowning Machine is made out of. So, yeah. Is there um, a... I th think you mentioned earlier. Is there a, a Discord community for Haunted uh, PS1? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the uh, the primary form of communication uh, for for us as as designers. We have like a whole um, voice chat where you can go and hang out with people while you work, and you know, uh, there's advice columns and there's roles for different engines to ask people like technical questions and things like that. Um, as a as a designer who either knows nothing or something, uh, it's a really really good place to be. Well, so, so I'll get the link. I'll get the guy. link from you after this and attach that to the description as well. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've. Uh... Probably gone on for about another ten minutes as this outro. <laughs> it's the Mexican goodbye. I don't know what to tell you. It's it's how we <laughs> usually do it. We always end up on another thing. But uh, like uh, thank you, Aiden, for being here with us tonight, and uh, shout out to Deco for knowing such awesome people. Um, if you've liked this episode and all that, you know, subscribe. We'll have everything shared to our Twitter and all that. So please follow us on Twitter. That link will be in the description. And Aiden, if you want to plug anything before we go, you have the floor. Uh, I've just been talking about things I like for the last like hour or so, so I just wanted <laughs> I to know. take a second to uh, plug your podcast and just talk about how uh, cool y'all are for uh, doing this. Uh, I, I just I really really enjoy going on podcasts and so just getting the opportunity to kind you know kind of just come on and shoot the shit with a couple of cool guys for a while. It's just a really good experience. So thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, uh, final final plug since we have new stuff. Uh, Deca, you have a new article that came out on your Patreon today, I believe. 
or was yeah it? every every other wednesday is my I got, I got the notification my 15 dollars is going to good use each month <laughs> uh yeah also have related to your D D or your just tabletop writing we have launched a new youtube channel where we'll be uploading our uh, D actual plays so weekly episodes uh we have the first episode up right now it's a DD game based on naruto which is fun and uh next one will be out on saturday and it's run by our friend kevin good guy good group of players including myself so check that out also that'll be in the description also uh i don't i don't necessarily like to talk about how the sausage is made but i wrote that article like several months ago and i forgot which one it was so yeah. i had to tab back and be like which one was it no see deca has articles like in the chamber from months ago <laughs> that are just like now being released because he's like i'm just ahead of it like stockpiling articles <laughs> i'm good for from right now until like february yeah it's a good investment then everybody go sub to deco's patreon yeah but every other that, wednesday yep and every saturday for the DD games and every friday for this podcast so you guys are seeing this on a friday and we already have our guests lined up for next week where depending on how tonight goes might be a very interesting conversation next week <laughs> so the world of wrestling never ceases to amaze us so the world of wrestling is always a dumpster fire and it just it's... depends on which fed is having the dumpster <laughs> fire right now so we're gonna see uh, how AEW deals with stuff tonight and we'll talk about that next week <laughs> but uh thank you all for being here thank you aiden for being here and of course, we'll thank you for having me yeah, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Good night, everybody. Bye.